2: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back. To Believe in Everything Auburn, I'm Taylor Davis, joined by Jason Campbell, and football is back in the SEC, and Auburn starts off strong with a win over Kentucky, so we're going to break down our week one game look ahead to week two. The Deep South's oldest rivalry is already here. It's Georgia hate week for all intents and purposes, so we're going to break down that matchup, and we've got a great guest to do it all with. We have another former Auburn quarterback, actually Jason's predecessor on the Plains. Ben Leard is going to be joining us to give us a little breakdown and insight on this Auburn team. So it is a great day to be an Auburn Tiger, right, J.K.? Oh,
2: it's an awesome day to be an Auburn Tiger. We got a W last week against a really good Kentucky team. A lot of people was picking them to upset us. And I got to get a shout out to the Auburn students that came out and supported Auburn. They did a great job of setting up the stands. Taylor, you wasn't there. But when I tell you, it looked like it was a full house or at least three-fourths like the way they had the seats spread it out from top of the stadium all the way to the bottom of the stadium. Like they did an outstanding job and it felt like a real game atmosphere on the inside, even though the outside tailgating and stuff wasn't there, but kudos to, to whoever set that up because they did an outstanding job. And I'm pretty sure the players really appreciated that. So, so, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of teams are going to try to copy that across the league um, coming up.
1: Yeah. Love to hear that. I'm glad that we had as, similar to a game day as we possibly could for these guys, because they certainly deserve it. And I do love that the students got first priority in tickets for the home opener. I thought I thought that was really cool. But we're going to break down this entire win and look ahead to Georgia with Ben here in just a minute. But real quickly, Jason, want to get your input on the SEC as a whole. There was some predictability this past week, and there was some chaos. The reigning national champs, of course, get the first loss to Mississippi State. Mike Leach showing that An air raid offense can thrive in the SEC. Who would have thought? Putting up a conference record over 600 passing yards. They really took the country by storm. Obviously, I think a lot of people expected LSU to fall from grace, but I don't know if people were expecting State to be the ones to do it. And then, of course, uh, Texas A&M having a, a close call with Vanderbilt. I was on that one. They ended up with the win, but certainly not looking as strong as people anticipated Kellen Mond would look. Alabama in typical form, yada, yada, yada. We don't need to go there. Uh, and Georgia scared people a little bit, got behind to Arkansas at the beginning, but came out with the win. And Florida, Florida looking good. Kyle Trask really making his mark, connecting with that big tight end. They are going to be a matchup problem. What impressed you from the conference this week?
2: Oh, man, just the, uh, the element of surprise. And what I mean by that is Mike Leach, yeah. you know, unleashing 600 yards against LSU. I know LSU had a lot of players that was out with COVID this summer, and, and they're still trying to – missing a lot of players. Some of their best stars opted out, and then not having teams leave before the game started, that hurt them a lot because he would at least shut down one side of the field from a corner standpoint. So, you know, yes, they had a lot of players that wasn't there, but you can't take away the effort that Mississippi State showed. Uh, when I think about it as well, man, Florida. You know, I know, you know, Kiffin, I give him kudos to Ole Miss. They're going to be a really good football team, but they yep. ran up against a powerhouse against Florida, and the way the Florida was throwing the football around them and, and maneuvering, they looked like the Florida of the early 2000s and in the late 1990s. So, you know, kudos to them. And, you know, Auburn, offense, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to leave us out. You know, I thought they did a good job of um, the opportunities that they had. Uh, I thought they showed a lot of, a lot of different things with – you know, Coach Chad Morris moving guys around in different places. A lot of different guys touch the ball. So, you know, we'll see that moving forward. And then Vanderbilt, a game that yeah. you covered, you know, like yep. it's just go to show you like, guys, you know, this is an all SEC schedule this year and anything is possible and anything can happen. So everyone that had Vander on their schedule and said, well, okay, this is going to be a cakewalk. You might want to think again, you know, these yep. guys going to come to play. So it just goes to show me from top to bottom, each week is going to be anticipated with some excitement because you just never know.
1: I totally agree. That's what you get from an sec only schedule. There's going to be games that sneak up on everybody, but we're of course going to break down this Auburn result from this week. But real quickly, before we bring in Ben Leard, want to tell you guys about our awesome sponsor. As I said, the wait's finally over football is back and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at bet.com online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head over to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. So again, BetOnline.ag and sign up today. All right, Auburn fans, well, let's go ahead and bring in our guest today. I am in the presence of two former Auburn quarterbacks now. We are so excited to welcome in Ben Leard to our show, talk all about this Auburn team, and of course, his day is down on the plains. Ben, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Taylor, how are you guys this morning? J. Cam, man, it's always good to talk to you. we we'll are
2: Hey Ben, you know it's just great to have you, man. You know what I'm saying you—you you one of the guys at Auburn that brought me in and uh, helped tutor me and and get me going in my career. So you know, kudos to you. You know, I return a favor to you one day and teach you how to cook a good steak and salmon. So no, don't worry about it. Hey, I'm just I'm just
0: waiting on the invite to come to come to Atlanta and hang out and play. maybe play a little golf. Take a little bit of your money.
2: Oh, oh, okay.
1: I believe it. I believe it. Well, Ben, we certainly are excited to get your input on everything that's happening right now. Obviously, coming off our first game, our first win, we want to get your input on all of it. But first, I love to start out with all of our guests. The fans know what's coming. i got to have you go back in time a little bit to your playing days at Auburn. What memories really stand out for you from your time playing on the Plains? What was, what was your favorite aspect of being an Auburn athlete?
0: You know, Taylor, the I mean this sounds really cliché, but my favorite aspect of being an athlete at Auburn specifically was that there it there was there's true meaning to the the family aspect. Uh, and and you know, Auburn at the time um at the time wasn't a wasn't not did not have a huge Greek presence. It didn't have it was just if you were on campus if you were a student at auburn whether you were black white green or purple you you were all in it together and and that was that was even more exemplified within the locker room with us as a football team and i think that's something that galvanized us as a group it galvanized us as young men and really kind of set the tone what i think for us as fathers and husbands and, you know, going out into the, into the working world and allowed us to maintain relationships. I mean, things like, I mean, Jason and I never took a snap together. But, and, we, and we, one comes from Mississippi, one comes from Georgia, different demographics, but it, it's, we can get on the phone, just like you heard just a second ago, we can get on the phone and it's like we never missed a beat. And, right. um, you know, those, those types of things are more special to me than anything, from a playing perspective, is the is the sense that Auburn is really they, they practice what they preach from a family perspective, and um, so long as you earn your keep, whatever whatever your 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 background, your socioeconomic status, none of that's relevant. It, it doesn't matter. You, you come in and you all start on the even playing field, and you go from there. But you know, game wise, I, I can I can think back to so many games I mean so many I can think of the true freshman in 96 the game where the uh the auxiliary gym caught on fire versus LSU and you know that was my kind of my first taste of major college football Uh, you know back that was back in the day when we would play LSU second or third game of the season and it was our it was our first SEC game and Guys, I, I thought I was about to be trampled. I mean I was an eighteen year old I was an eighteen year old kid that had that that had barely gotten off the farm from you know, by that point, and I'm seeing flames come over the top of the of the what looked like it was coming over the top of the end zone, um, and and kept kept envisioning in my mind all of those awful horror stories of, of the, of the tramplings of the side, the soccer matches and things of oh, yeah. that nature, you know, and, and, some stuff like that. Those were, those were really cool. Obviously going over to, over to Athens, which is, is really kind of why this, this game resonates with me, going over to Athens in 99 and, and beating Georgia the way that we did was huge being a Georgia boy um, doing that. And, and you, Taylor, you may not know this, but J cam, Jason was on a on a visit at yep. as a recruit in Athens, mm-hmm. yep. and you know he's he said for years he just he it stuck in his mind where he he spent more time talking to the Auburn players and the Auburn coaches in Athens <laughs> because they just that's just where he gravitated to. I,
1: I love that, and I love what you said about. You know, it, we always say you can leave Auburn, but Auburn really never leaves you and and to hear that you all have, you know, you stay connected and when you get back together, it's like, you know, you haven't skipped a beat. I, I love that sentiment and I think that that's a tradition of Auburn that certainly continues through the ages and, and I love to see that. So, we're going to flash forward a little bit to right now and talk about this team because I, for one, am still very hype coming off this past Saturday. The SEC football season is officially back, and Auburn starts off strong with a win 29-13 to over Kentucky. So I want to get a breakdown and analysis from two former Auburn quarterbacks today. This is going to be a great analysis of this one. So we're going to break down both sides of the ball, want to start offense. Obviously, there were so many things we were all anticipating and hoping to see from this new Chad Morris offense. And I certainly was very excited to see the variety, the creativity, the the different options that were out there offensively. Bo Nix certainly came into his own. You could certainly see the next step in his development. He was 16 of 27 for 233 yards and three touchdowns. And uh, this, Ben, this may be new to you because you're new to the show. Um, I'm, I'm president of the Seth Williams fan club, and uh, he certainly <laughs> solidified that this weekend. He had six catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns. So a lot of good things to take away from this one. I think your your concern maybe looks to the rushing game, just 50 yards rushing from our running backs, and we have so many qualified backs, that was a little confusing to see. So. Offensive-minded guys, QBs here, I want both of your opinions on the offensive side of the ball. I just kind of gave you an overview of everything, but what stood out to you in this first outing?
0: You know, in watching it, I was extremely impressed by the way Bo played, Um, Mm -hmm. staying with it, looked as if he was very comfortable within the system. He stayed within the system, uh, went through his progressions. And you can tell, you can tell first and foremost, and, and Jason can expound on this a little bit because he's, because he's truly lived it himself, going from a freshman to a sophomore, the amount of mental confidence that you have going into that, having seen so many reps. Another thing that I was, I really enjoyed watching was the the various route concepts that Chad Morris has introduced. Absolutely. Historically, historically Gus, Gus's pass game or Gus's passing tree doesn't have a whole lot of branches on it. And it's, you know, one read, maybe two reads and then make a play. That's why Gus's offense, a lot of times the success of his offense is predicated on an athletic quarterback, being a Nick Marshall, a Cam Newton, a guy that can make plays with his feet and internally make a throw on the run or get a first down on the ground. But now With the introduction of of Chad Morris and the progression and the concepts within the passing game, I think it really gives Bo the opportunity to be successful and play towards his true skill set. It also gives the receivers the opportunity like Seth Williams, Eli Stowe, uh, Anthony Schwartz, those guys to be able to show their skill set and talents and really be able to capitalize on opportunities. I'm with you, Taylor. Seth Williams is a man. Right. And I, I think I think in the sense that the, the true one, the catch that he made to me that was the most impressive catch of the day was his first touchdown catch of the day on the third and goal from the eleven. Yep. And and that told me a couple of things. One, there is a true quarterback receiver relationship between Bo and Seth. Absolutely. Because Bo Bo made that throw, number one, he made it and made it to where nobody else could get to it but Seth. Mm-hmm. The other thing, the other thing was, he made that throw and he knew good and well his guy could get it. Yeah. And that's obviously something that they have seen, they have they have done in the summer, they've done in the off season, they've done, you know, just playing around before practice, just doing little things. And seeing that they can do those – make those kind of plays and make those kind of throws, that's going to pay huge dividends for these kids, especially once they get inside the red zone, to know that – to know that 10 can throw the ball to 18 and he's going to come down with
2: it. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, When you think about this game, Taylor and Ben, I thought the one thing – that I really liked about this game was how Chad Morris moved around receivers and, you know, he didn't just let them line up where they normally line up. You know, he was moving guys all around the field. And he, was, he knew how to put the pressure on the defense. You know, sometimes he felt like if we was going three and out too fast, he slowed it down just to touch, you know, just to make sure the guys understood where they're supposed to be. And he's making sure a lot of guys touch the football. He said this coming into the season that a lot of guys are going to touch the football. And, and I think when you, when that happens, it makes all the kids on the team antennas go up. Because yeah. when you feel like you're going to get the ball, but you just don't know when, you stay interested into the game. And you're not just lollygagging, looking at the school board, thinking about what you're going to do after the game because you don't know when your number is going to be called. So mm-hmm. I think he brings that type of element to our offense. that keeps the kids engaged. And then you think about, you know, Seth Williams making those type of catches. You know, the one he threw in the end zone, you know, you always would tell your quarterback in the meeting room, no, 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 that's a no-no. But because it's Seth and his, and his both, and we've seen this last year where he would just throw it up to him and he would go up and get the ball – I don't I think they encourage him to throw the ball up because Seth cannot jump most DBs that he go yeah. against. And and when you can do that, and the guy can high point a ball, you know, as good as some I've seen. You know, people compare him jumping up, high point the ball like a Randy Moss type guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he can do that. He may not run like Randy, but he can high point a ball like Randy. And, uh, and I think that brings so much confidence in Bo when you know you got a guy like that. I can throw the ball over the middle of the field and he gonna go get it. He's not afraid of getting hit. He's not afraid of contact. And Seth is a strong guy as well. You know, the fade ball, he caught in the end zone, he kind of slapped the guy in the back of the head, you Mm -hmm. know, and let let him know, like, you know, dude, like, you too small for me. You know, that's when you know (laughs) a a guy, confidence is at an all time high. Now, moving forward, this is the week, Taylor. Ben, our run game has got to come a little bit better than 50 some yards. And I say that because Georgia has some DBs. They have some DBs that's back from last year. They got some guys that can match up. They can play ball. They're really talented. They're going to double Seth Williams. They're going to make Eli Stowe, Anthony Schwartz, and some of these other guys come alive and have to beat them. And when I say that, we've been talking about getting the tight ends involved. I don't know if the tight ends had to catch this past Saturday. So this may be the game that we see them catch five or six balls because of the double team on Seth. And this is going to have to be the game that our run game really, really opens up if we want to put an extra man in the box and keep them from having the opportunity to double set.
0: Yeah. And, and J. Cam, you're exactly right, that they've got to and- – in my mind, looking at the lack of production that they had in, on the ground in the rushing attack with the, the stable of running backs that they do have, I, my hope is that that, that that grows each and every week as the offensive line gets more and more continuity. They play more snaps together. But the unfortunate circumstance is that this I, I truly think this is going to be the most talented and best defense that Auburn plays this season. Especially on the on the back end of that defense, with well, their secondary led led by LeCount, they those DB they are the best DBs, the DB secondary group, if not definitely in the SEC, possibly in the country collectively. And you're right, they're not going to make the mistake of leaving 18 on an island, single coverage, no help over the top, especially in the red zone. You know. With and with the exception, you mentioned the tight ends. With the exception of of Shanker catching the two point conversion, they didn't have any catches. And they're going to have to introduce the tight ends into the pass game in order to put some added pressure on the linebackers and safeties. Most importantly for Georgia, and you know I I do think the running game is going to come. Hopefully, it will come sooner rather than later. And. I think in all reality, and Jason, I'm sure you probably agree with me, that do do we expect or, or do we think that Auburn is going to step out on Saturday and have 250 yards on the ground? No. But 100 to 150 is necessary. It, it really is necessary because it takes, it takes pressure off of Auburn from a play-calling perspective, and it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on Georgia as a defense – because there's so many variables to Chad Morris and his offensive sets and what he could do with the skilled players and the playmakers that he has. And this sounds really, really cliche, but the, you you know it. If Auburn can stay on schedule, keep themselves out of third and longs, second and 11s, you know, those types of situations to keep Georgia on their toes and make them stay somewhat neutral in their in their defensive sets and not really knowing whether it's a ninety percent pass call, ten percent run, keep it sixty forty, keep it fifty fifty. Make them make them be neutral in their assessments of what could happen on a play call. That will bode extremely well for Auburn on Saturday if they can force Georgia in that type of play call decision. Right.
1: I will just echo all of it by saying for the first showing, I was very encouraged by this offensive performance. I was very encouraged by the maturity and the poise of Bo Nix. I felt like we saw a bit more commitment to the pocket. He, he, His presence in the pocket felt a little more stable, a little more calm. So many times when you're looking at young quarterbacks, I actually saw it this past week in my game because Vanderbilt started a true freshman quarterback. If their first read isn't there, they take off. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the progressions and, and the time in the pocket, especially if they're feeling that pressure, which Kentucky brought multiple times and Bo maneuvered how he needed to and kept his eyes downfield and I felt like there was a bit more calmness. He didn't scramble before it was absolutely necessary. Now one thing that was pointed out in the broadcast, I think Jordan Rogers actually called it, is that when Bo does escape he always escapes to the right side and I don't know if that is you know a a reflection of where the offensive line is right now and how it's taking shape or if that's just his his natural tendency but certainly something that he and Chad Morris need to to focus in on and uh, adjust accordingly because defenses are going to hone in on that as well so I thought that was an interesting point but uh, I thought a big point of emphasis in this is that already with chad morris i feel like predictability of our offense was eliminated or certainly limited i remember a couple years ago the tennessee game the awful daytime loss at home against tennessee a report came off the tennessee sideline that their coaches were calling out our plays before the snap there was an aspect to an Auburn offense that was predictable, and I felt like that was eliminated in this game. There was more creativity. There were more options, and that is going to benefit us, especially heading into this week. So then you got to talk the defensive side of the ball. Now I think the biggest storyline about this defense was just how they adjusted at halftime. I, I think everyone was a little nervous in the first half, and a halftime adjustment was absolutely required, but they came out and played a lot tighter, a lot more refined. And keep in mind, this defense was without Big Cat Bryant, a pivotal piece to this defense. So seeing the way that they rallied together and adjusted as necessary was very encouraging. Uh, Kentucky had 120 yards on the ground in the first half. In the second half, we held Kentucky to an average of just 1.7 yards per carry. So that is what you call – a halftime adjustment. Kevin Steele showing why he's such an effective defensive coordinator, getting these guys more dialed in on what Kentucky was doing effectively in the first. Now, the secondary obviously has to tighten up against the pass, especially heading in to Georgia, and certainly before we see teams like Mississippi State uh, Kentucky finished with 239 passing yards. They had more than 60 in each of the first three quarters. So secondary needs to tighten up a little bit. But in the second half, we certainly made them more one-dimensional. What impressed you guys on the defensive side of the ball?
0: You know, in, in thinking about thinking about the adjustments, that was the most impressive portion to me. And I, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you in the sense that I, I think that's where Kevin still makes his money, is making a adjustments, um, especially early on in the season when there really isn't a lot of of film for them to dissect based on, you know, current philosophies and play calling strategies that let's say Eddie Graham may or may not have in the first game of the season as Kentucky's offensive coordinator. The other thing that I was, that I enjoyed watching uh, that was slightly stressful in the first drive, if you go back and think about it, on that, on that opening 93-yard touchdown drive that Kentucky did have, they were five for five on third down conversions in that particular drive, which is mm-hmm. impressive. But if you break it down a little bit further, there were three of those five, if I'm not mistaken, that Auburn had a false start penalty or an offsides penalty on that particular play. Number one, it gave Kentucky a free play. And number two, it transitioned Kentucky from a third and long, let's say a third and eight scenario, to a third and three. A much more manageable down and distance on third down puts a lot more pressure on the defense as far as what they're thinking or what they're expecting the play call to be. And it really, really increases the odds of conversion for any particular offensive football team, much less – a team with Cabassier Smoke, Terry Wilson, Mm -hmm. what I would think is probably the best offensive line in the SEC in Kentucky. So the the adjustments that they made not only from a strategic standpoint, but the mental adjustments that I think Auburn made of not making the careless errors that they were making in that initial drive uh, really, really tightened the reins. On them, on Kentucky offensively, and pay dividends down the line.
2: Yeah, you're both right. I mean, you're exactly right, Ben. When I think about this game. You know, when Big Cat Bryant was a scratch right before the game started. Um, you know, that wasn't something they thought. They thought they were gonna have him early, so he didn't play the whole first half. He didn't play until Derek Hall got hit, got caught with that penalty on the sideline after off, off the interception, where they called a peel back block. And when he got, when they threw him out the game. We were so thin at defensive end, he had to come out before the second half and he was trying to run on that ankle and he was trying to do the best he could and they would utilize him in third down situations just to try to, to give the other defensive end a break until he, can, until he can get back on the field because we were so thin. But Coach Steele did exactly what I thought he was going to do. I say he's going to bring pressure a lot more this year because there's no Marlon Davidson or Derek Brown so he could could, get last year he could accumulate pressure without having to utilize blitzes and different things but this year he's showing you why he's such a good defense coordinator he's alternating the plan and he like being said he alternated a plan within the game this time like and and you saw those different blitz like i said but he right now is upset i know coach Dill. he's probably throwing some Marcus at the chalkboard, he probably got them guys doing so many up-downs for jumping off sides on defense, giving Kentucky automatic first downs. At one point, Kentucky was 11 for 15 on third downs. As a defense, Mm -hmm. you have got to get off the field. Like You cannot let someone have 11 or 15 on third down. And the only thing that helped us win that game, if someone has that many third down completions, because we wasn't completing a lot of third downs on offense early in the game. And they were. But what helped is, they turned the ball over or they would have those self-inflicted mistakes where they couldn't finish off drives. And those are things that you can't have moving forward because as the season goes along, teams are getting a little bit better. You can't be on the field that long as a defensive unit because offensively we were sidelined for most of the game. And that probably has a lot to do with Taylor, as we were talking earlier, about the run game. The reason the run game couldn't get going because we felt like we had limited opportunities and I feel like Coach Morris was trying to take – Take advantage of those limited opportunities because Kentucky was holding the ball so long. So, you know, I do give kudos to Roger McCreary. I thought he played an outstanding game from the corner position. He came up, made a couple of big hits on some run blitzes from the corner spot in the boundary. Uh, he also got the interception on the goal line. That was a huge play uh, that kept Kentucky out the end zone right before the half. Um, so, and then KJ Britt, you know, another guy to end up with 11 tackles, had six solo tackles and five assists. But here's another guy that's going to bring that hat each and every week and they feed off of him. So, you know, Smoke Monday, you know, I was kind of impressed with Smoke Monday from a run run standpoint where he was coming up and, and making tackles. You know, he's another guy that had 10 total tackles with seven solo tackles. So from this, from the from the safety position to make that many tackles, that means you're heavily involved in the run game. So there's a lot of things to be happy about what I saw with this defense, especially being spread it so thin from an injury standpoint. But these guys have got to focus a little bit harder on third down and understand that there is not going to be a lot of crowd noise this year because there's not, because limited fans are only allowed. So you got to focus a little bit harder because the quarterback's going to use that hard count. A lot. You saw it in the NFL this weekend. So you have to anticipate quarterbacks using the hard count to get you to jump on third down and and not give them an automatic first down. So that's something that's going to be hopped on, I know, every day this week. So this makes this thing very important going into this weekend's game because Bo can utilize the hard count against Georgia's defense because it's not going to be the normal crowd.
1: Right. Well, we kind of talked about what we are going to need to do heading into Georgia. Let's get – A little bit of a final breakdown of this one. It's quite weird that it's already time for the Deep South's oldest rivalry. It it came really quickly this year, but uh, we're excited nonetheless. This is always a very intense game, and even though it's week two, you already know this one's going to be a hard-fought battle in Athens. So let's break this one down a little bit. Obviously, Georgia was, you know, scaring people a little bit, looking like they – they might struggle more than anticipated, uh, fell behind to Arkansas at first, but certainly regained some momentum. Dewan Mathis really struggled, so they brought in Stetson Bennett. At quarterback, he came in and threw for 211 yards and two touchdowns, but lucky us, USC transfer JT Daniels has been medically cleared right mm, ahead. Of the Auburn game, totally. Now, he is coming back from a torn ACL at USC last season, so he has now been cleared. And obviously, we're going to have to utilize the past success that we had this past week offensively, but you're going to be doing it against a very solid secondary in Georgia. They had three interceptions against Felipe Franks this past week. They did have 12 penalties, so Georgia is not showing the most disciplined football at the time. And like I mentioned earlier, they also struggled in the run game with just 121 yards on the ground. So when you look ahead to this one, what are the keys? How, how do we end up two and zero this week?
0: You know, Taylor, I, I, it's it, it, it's one of those things, and I think feel like most importantly, Auburn has got they have got to get off the field on third downs. That is that is paramount. That is major priority because you're looking at as good as Kentucky may or may not be on the offensive side of the ball. You're taking a step into the next level. With with looking at what Georgia has from a weapons perspective, with or without JT Daniels, with Stetson Bennett playing quarterback, look at Georgia from the skill positions. Amir White playing running back. You've got George Pickens at the receiver position. Georgia always has a stable of tight ends that are that are reliable and can make plays. The slot receivers are so athletic, guys that are broken from the mold of Michael Harmon Jr. You know, guys like that that always make plays. Georgia consistently has a very, very productive offensive line. So what Auburn has to do is get off the field on third down. The other aspect is, like Jason pointed out, they are going to have to get. They're going to have to fabricate pressure. And Mm -hmm. when I say that, I'm saying from the standpoint of bring a bring a boundary corner blitz, bring smoke into fill in an alley and timing up a blitz, similar to the way he did in the Iron Bowl last year against Nike Jones, and be mentally prepared to make adjustments. What that does, though, is it puts added pressure on the defensive secondary because by losing a guy that that is going on the blitz, you're having to fill that void or you're having to not run a zone scheme. You're having to jump into a man scheme and cover the athletes the likes of George Pickens for substantial periods of time if you cannot get immediate pressure on the quarterback. So I think that's the situation in my mind that Auburn is going to really have to capitalize on and find success in. This whole pandemic and this whole college football season with regards to the lack of attendance at respective stadiums, I truly think plays into the favor of the visiting teams. Hmm. because of the fact that you don't have to go into such a hostile environment such as Sanford Stadium in Athens. Right. It played into the hands of Kentucky. They did not have to deal with the crowd noise. They did not have to deal with all of the the stuff that would be going on on campus. They just didn't have to deal with those things. It was a glorified spring practice, glorified hmm. spring scrimmage. And so I think on Saturday's game, while Athens is a one of the most difficult places to play in the country, especially at night, that's neutralized because there's eighteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people in the stands. That's that's nothing. Yeah. But they are going to have to be able to maintain discipline at the line of scrimmage. Like Jason was saying, these are things that I truly think that offensive coordinators are preaching to their quarterbacks. Number one, it's use the hard count. Utilize it to to your advantage make guys not only if they jump off sides great you got a free play but what that does mentally to that guy that's a that's a dedicated third down pass rusher he is one step slower and is not able to anticipate so regularly that snap count so it, it makes him delay just ever so slightly Whereas over the last handful of years, you guys can recall and know, Jason, I know, I know this is the case, and you've gone enough balls to know this. On third and long, not only are you looking for a completion, but, hey, getting a, the getting a pass interference is in play as well. So give your guy a chance to make a play. If it's one-on-one, play yourself into maybe getting a PI. So those are things that these guys are talking about, especially with an aggressive defensive secondary that Auburn has with freshman, you know, SEC freshman of the week, Jalen Simpson, guys like, guys like Roger McCurrier, guys like Smoke Monday, to really play into the hands of their aggressiveness with athletes like George Pickens and Samir White to, to extend drives and keep drives alive.
2: Yeah, you made a lot of great points there. And, uh, and being, when you talk about, you know, from a defensive standpoint and from from what they may try to do, like going into Athens at nighttime. Like, like I said, when I went on my visit when you was there in 99 playing against uh, Georgia, like you said, I I remember standing in the middle of that field and the atmosphere was electric. And, you know, Georgia always like to do what they call these blackout games at nighttime where everyone wears black t-shirts and, you know, everyone's jumping up and going crazy and, and everything. It's one of the funnest atmospheres to play in at nighttime. But to not have that, that's a major, major difference. And like you said, like, you give a, a team on the road, any time you can communicate without having to scream or yell but and, and everything, especially with a new offensive line. Do you know, Taylor, how hard this would be for us as a left tackle that we're still trying to figure out to go into Athens mm-hmm. and to play against that defense and it's a full 90-some thousand people in the stands and it's rocking and he can't hear your snap count yep. and everything gets off of just ball movement and you can't be a second late or or, or early. And it just makes a huge difference. So, you know, for that's why I give Auburn an upper hand in this game is because of that aspect alone. Then the other part of it is it's hard for Auburn, though, just going to this game from a defensive standpoint is they really have to prepare for three quarterbacks. You know, we, we know that JT is probably going to be the guy that probably end up starting, but they're going to go back and study the film at USC and everything with him. But at the same time, you still have to study the other two guys. Like, you just never know. And when you're doing that, you yeah, It's harder on defensive because each guy does something different. And whether it's good or bad, you have to prepare for it. And and not seeing JT last week, you don't know if they was hiding certain things or not. But, you know, going into this game, we'll find out early and often what what their game plan is. So, you know, this is a game that I think is going to be definitely won in the line of scrimmage uh, up front, Uh, who can pressure the quarterbacks the most and who can stop the run game. Because Auburn's going to put more emphasis on running the ball this week. I guarantee it. Um, it's always every time you don't have rushing yards being contested. Is the coach comes in there, the offense coordinator say We won the game, but how dang it we didn't get but such and such yards rushing. And you know, <laughs> like men, it's a prideful thing, Taylor. I don't know why it's a prideful thing where men feel like if we don't have 100 yards rushing, win or lose, we feel defeated. Like it's all about knocking someone off the ball in your manhood and showing them we can rush for 100 yards or more. Coach Nall used to always say it as offensive line coach when we was there. You know, he wants 100 yards rushing no matter what. He don't care if we're playing against Jones Junior High School or, <laughs> or playing against the New England Patriots. He wants 100 yards rushing. So, yeah. you know, it's just the mindset from a offensive line. They know as the season prolongs, in order to win games, you got to be able to run the football. So, you know, I think this is going to be a close game, but I like Auburn uh, to win this one.
1: All right, people, you heard it here first. I certainly hope that's how all of this comes together. Definitely some things that this team will head back to the drawing board and and fix up and hopefully it's effective come week two, because this will certainly be a big matchup as it is every year. One more thing that I want to mention, uh, one of the most important things probably from this past week that we have not mentioned yet. And uh, that was Gus Malzahn's outfit. And I would just like to say I loved it. It was obviously in honor of, the late, great Pat Dye and uh, the old school hat and the tie and the short sleeve button up. I thought it was so sharp, so awesome, so cool to see uh, as an Auburn fan. So that was that was an honorable mention for me in this game. And uh, I, I love to see that from Gus. I love when he breaks out of his mold a little bit, you know? Well, yeah. Ben Leard, thank you so much for coming on with us today, giving us your insight and breakdown. This was awesome to hear from you. And uh, we certainly appreciate your time today.
2: Guys,
0: thank you so much for having me. It's always a it's always an honor to get to be in the same conversation with my boy Jay Cam and Taylor. <laughs> it was very very nice. It's nice to finally get to meet you, and I oh, uh, appreciate gosh. you guys giving me the opportunity to talk about the the much. Uh, you know, I, there, there's not much love lost for me and and the University of Georgia football team. That's uh, <laughs> that's my iron bolt. so uh, anytime Auburn gets a chance to – any opportunity to line up, I don't care if it's volleyball, soccer, football, basketball, tiddlywinks. If Auburn gets a chance to beat – if Auburn gets a chance to beat Georgia, it's it's, it's game on and it's all live, 100%.
1: All right, everybody. That will do it for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. Jason and I greatly appreciate you guys listening and following along to our Auburn podcast. It's super fun now that we actually have some games to talk about. So make sure you hang with us throughout the season. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button in the podcast app if you haven't already. So you get a notification every time we release an episode. Everyone make sure to, uh, Pulled these Tigers through to a big victory. This is going to be a big game. It's pivotal. Even though it's week two, this one's going to have a huge impact either way. So enjoy the game. Have fun watching it. And we'll be back to break down all the action next week. As always, War Eagle. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you.